0: Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is Meg Vicaria, CEO of Symphony OS. First, let's start here. What are the best months to release your music during the year? Well, it turns out that January and February is relatively good because the market isn't saturated yet february as you might expect is particularly good for relationship songs meaning it's valentine's day so anything that kind of revolves around that should work one month that is not good however is march especially if you're unknown now the exception being if you happen to be playing at south by southwest then it could actually be okay but usually you find that most are to stay away from march april is good because touring season begins And also, if you do vinyl, it's record store day during that month. May is great because summer festival season is starting. So that's always good, especially if you're doing a festival tour. Likewise, June and July because it's festival season. September and October are really good because everyone's going back to school. And this time is probably the best for brand new artists. That brings us to the end of the year, November and December, and usually at this point, the market is saturated, people are traveling, so they don't have quite the attention span, and you have two holidays that breaks everything up. Also, maybe most importantly, the response time of the industry is very slow because everyone's going on vacation. Now, through all of this, remember to plan your release strategy at least 60 days ahead of your release. You need some time to get this up and running, you need some time to plan it, you need some time to get everything in place before you actually begin your campaign. So if we look back at this, the bottom line is to stay away from releasing music in March, November and December if you want your release to get the most traction. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. I'm pleased to announce that my new Musician's AI Handbook is now available. It's packed with information about how AI can help you with new song, lyric mixing, mastering ideas, as well as music marketing to help get your music out to the audience that you deserve. Get your copy, go to bobbyosinski.com forward slash AI Handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash AI Handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Now here's a question how much do record producers actually make if you're just starting if you're working with indie bands then it's pretty much whatever you can get and usually that means working for nothing however things change when you begin to work with the major label artists so first of all you're going to get a producer fee at the very lowest it's about 15,000 per song Now, a superstar producer might get as much as $75,000 per song or even higher, but the $30,000 to $40,000 per song is a good range for an established producer. Now, here's the thing. This actually gets reduced per track on an album, so perhaps it might be $30,000 for the first three tracks and then drop down to $20,000 for the second three and then $10,000 for the last ones. Half is paid up front and half is paid on delivery. The first half, the producer gets to keep no strings attached. The second half is an advance. So that means it has to get paid off before the producer will see any royalties. Speaking of royalties, so all producers get points. Points are a percentage of the overall revenue coming in from that particular song or album. At the very lowest, it's 2%. So if you're just starting out, you can expect 2%. But an established producer is usually in the 4 to 5% range. A superstar producer might get as many as 6 points, but that's kind of rare. Now, this is paid out of the artist royalty. So, again, the artist has to make money first, and that means if there's a big advance, it's going to take a long time before you see any money as well. Now, of course, many producers are now writers as well, so you can expect 50% of the publishing. And usually the way this is split up is, If a producer does the track, that's worth 50%. And the top line, which most artists come up with, that's worth the other 50%. Producers can make some real money, but you have to break into the major label territory in order to cash in. My guest this week is a partner in Integral Studios and CEO of Symphony OS, Meg Vicaria. Since 2016, he spearheaded product and data strategy as CTO of Integral Studio, one of the music industry's leading marketing agencies. At Integral, Meg has worked with every major label and alongside artists of all sizes from independent creators to today's superstars, including Travis Scott, Zia, and Future, helping them figure out how to most effectively roll out their music in the most creative, data-driven ways. To date, Integral has supported campaigns that have led to four Grammy-nominated albums and over a dozen platinum-selling records. Symphony OS helps creators put their fan base growth on autopilot with smart, automated marketing. Its suite of apps centralizes the digital marketing workflow, empowering creators with the tools to better understand their audience, engage their fan base, and increase their revenues. During the interview, we spoke about why we're in a post-TikTok era, why artists should consider advertising, how AI can play into your marketing decisions, why a mailing list is more important than ever for marketing, and much more. I spoke with Meg from his office in Los Angeles. How about a little bit of your background first? I want to know about your journey from where you started to Symphony.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so I, I was actually not a music kid growing up. I was like a tech kid, you know, full full tech nerd, brown immigrant parents, like my path ahead of me that was you know, pre-written was like doctor, lawyer, engineer. So I was like, I'll be an engineer. So I studied computer science in school, but I was in school during the time of SoundCloud. And so really for the first time on one side, I was seeing the tech world really open up and was seeing all these startups kind of start just off of kids at home building things. On the other side though, I was seeing all these artists on SoundCloud for the first time, also just reaching their fans, bypassing the labels and that whole gate system. And so while I was in school, like 2013, 2014, you know, I was like coding stuff, but my eye was always on music. Like, okay, this is something happening right now. There's a phenomenon going on that is giving these artists more tools and levers than ever before. So as I got to like, you know, my senior year, I was like, you know what, forget tech. I actually want to work in music and work with artists and build cool things with artists. I was up in Seattle at University of Washington, so like had no connection to music. But I was like, let me just go out to LA um, in the summer of 2016 and see if I can, you know, figure some music stuff out. Um, so came out to LA in the summer of 2016. Um, was just networking around trying to get one foothold into the industry. Um, ended up meeting my now two business partners of seven years, just like while being outside. We all really hit it off on this idea of you know, how do we bring best practices from the tech world into this world of music that was becoming much more data-driven? Like if you remember like 2016, you know, there was, was still like Walmart and Target and the record stores and, and out the labels were trying to prioritize physical sales and all the kids were at home uploading music on SoundCloud and they're like, you know what, tell me about my likes and my comments, not my, my physical sales. And so as we came in in 2016, we were like, cool, let's start by helping these artists reach their fans by way of building really cool websites for them. Um, We got super lucky that summer. We ended up meeting TDE, um, Talk Dog Entertainment. And they're like, Hey, like you guys seem cool. You guys seem like you guys know how to build things. We have this artist named SZA dropping an album the next year. You should build her website. And so for us, like that was our kind of summer project starting in like September of 2016 through, I want to say April of 2017, where Working with SZA on her website and like helping to kind of build that out. Um, in hindsight, it was a wild time. But at, at the time, I was like 21, just hacking things together. Ended up putting out this website and she got, you know, like 100,000 people hitting it every single month. And so we're like, oh, wow, there's something here where like these fans are trying to congregate around these artists. And there's all this data around, around this kind of experience. But the, the wild part for us was that the labels weren't asking us about that data. And the managers had no idea what to do with it. And so we're like, okay, cool. Like we could build a business to start just doing websites for artists. So 2016, 2017, we just focused on that piece of what we were good at. Um, ended up collecting going into 2018, like four or five million fans worth of data just from these websites that we were building. And every time it was consistent that we build this website, we put it out there, bunch of fans would come and nobody would ask us about the data. The labels didn't care, the managers had no idea what to do with it. And so 2018 came around and we are like, all right, this is great. We found a a niche in the business. We're still broke kids in LA. We can't pay rent still. Um, What else can we do with with artists and creatives to actually help them, you know, actually grow more efficiently using tech? So we started digging into data and talking to some of our friends in the tech world in 2018, and they were really raving about data-driven marketing in like, you know, companies like Microsoft and Uber and all of that. And we're like, this is interesting. Like, can we use this fan data to help artists sell more records or sell more tickets and merchandise. So 2018, we started playing around with it and ended up finding that if you use data from these websites and around the fan base very effectively, you could actually make the artists more money doing things like running Instagram ads to drive streams or running Instagram ads to drive merchandise, which today it's, it's kind of obvious in hindsight, you know, like I've got this ads all over the place, like too many ads at this point. But back then it was very early on in, in kind of the Instagram ads ecosystem, so kind of we kind of pivoted our business after these early kind of uh, learnings to fully dive into marketing. Ended up getting to work with kind of every major label, being an outsourced marketing person, and so got to work with like the Epic Records, Warner's, you know, Universal, um, Sony, and for us it was always like cool, like we'll be the guys that you guys call up when you want to outsource your marketing and like have someone do digital. And so we got a chance to really spend a bunch of label money to learn what actually makes fan bases grow and how to connect the dots on fan data and marketing applications. And then after like a while, it was really, really, I realized something kind of went off in my head where I was like, wait a second, we're, we're sitting here, you're the record label, you're signing these artists for potentially 50%, 60%, maybe more of their records and even more of their masters potentially, depending on the deal, but you're outsourcing marketing which in 2019, 2020 was, you know, digital was everything. And these labels still didn't have a core competency inside the buildings to get it done. So as we were seeing that, you know, I was just getting more and more jaded and disillusioned by the industry. It was like, this is great. We get to work with like these really big artists, but you guys sign these folks for crazy amounts. You guys should be doing this at the house. And so as we kind of got into it, uh, especially going into 2020 and like COVID, you know, happening and changing everything on the digital side, we were like, okay, cool. like. If this problem is very apparent for these major artists at the label system, what about all these other artists that are out there that don't have a team, don't have a manager, still are putting out music and trying to figure out ways to grow? So Symphony was initially something that really started as a seed of an idea for us, like kind of being disillusioned by the industry, realizing that this marketing problem was very big and getting bigger every single day. And then as 2020 came around and kind of COVID changed everything about the music narrative, about the creator economy narrative, about just reaching your fans and and all of that. We're like, okay, why don't we take everything we've learned around marketing, um, especially at this major level, why don't we turn it into a product that any artist, any team, really anyone that wants to make a living off their passion can use to understand their fan base and market themselves? And then why don't we put it out there for the world to kind of use? So we spent like 2020, 2021, um, going into 2022, kind of building out the tech. And then I want to say like May of 2022, one of my independent artist friends was like, you know, I was looking at the website for Symphony and I was like, ah, this is ugly. I'm scared to drop it. What will artists think? And he was like, just drop it, you know, just, just, just go for it. And so we did it. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. We're like a year and a half removed since then. Um, now like 25,000 artists later that, that are on the platform, but really just trying to make it as easy as possible for anyone that has a, a passion to tr- turn it into a living off of smart marketing tools and very data-driven marketing tools.
0: Yeah, I have a number of questions about that. But first, just a little history lesson. Actually, the labels were really good at tech at one point in time and marketing. And they had some very, very savvy tech people running the departments that have since gone on. And one of the reasons why is through the years, all of a sudden that department just disappeared. And marketing also didn't disappear, but it was gutted for the most part. So there was a point in time where they were really on top of this, but you know you have to sustain that in order to make it work, and and they certainly didn't. So good for you.
1: <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, I, I can't complain. You know, made my career, but you know, I also just think about you know the the ecosystem today, right? We kind of had this era where TikTok was leading a lot of things, and we saw a lot of labels rushing after. Not artists had the best sound or the best world building or best storytelling, but the artists that were popping on TikTok, you know? And I feel like now we're finally in this world where labels are kind of resetting a little bit in terms of who they want to sign. And then artists are also starting to look past the commodities and they're like, all right, what can I actually do to build a world that brings my fans in? You know? So it's a very interesting time from like the SoundCloud to the blog, the blog era to SoundCloud to TikTok to, this post TikTok world we're in now, where I think everyone's kind of keenly aware that there isn't one thing that helps you grow or that there isn't one thing that builds your career, but an artist really has to start thinking like a small business in terms of how they approach things and making sure they're everywhere as much as they can be.
0: Really, you think we're in in a post TikTok era? I think so. I think like there's still
1: obviously like hits on TikTok going crazy, but if you remember like 2020, 2021, there was like these hits, right? Like The Box by Roddy Ricch. Yeah. And like there was like, you know, was a Wood Mac record went crazy like 20 years later. Like all these big, big moments that turned into diamond records. And now it's like a TikTok uh, song goes viral every week and like it's not turning platinum overnight like it used to be. So the saturation only increased, I feel like as um, people adopted it. And so there's still opportune there. There's opportunities and like ways to reach fans there. But I don't think it was. it's the end-all be-all like it used to be maybe two or three years ago.
0: Yeah, it's funny how platforms really take a, uh, it's all cyclical. There's one that's hot for a while and then it will be less hot or something else pops up. And right now I don't see anything else popping up though, do you? I don't know, I feel like it's like part of it's just like being everywhere, but I think What's interesting to me, I
1: followed like the, the Web3 crypto kind of NFT wave, especially on the music side for like the last 18 to 24 months. And what they kind of cracked is, it's kind of interesting. They they were like, all right, what if we sold an NFT of my song for $100 or $1,000? $1, and people were making money hand over fist, just like selling their songs as NFTs. And it was very intriguing to me seeing that happen in this kind of like siloed controlled community of like primarily web three native folks and it's almost like we went back to like when when i was younger at least like buying cds and buying albums and like even buying vinyls to an extent and i think a lot more artists are waking up to that potential tool of like all right if you own your fans email or their phone number or their name or like any of this data you can push product to them outside of streaming And i think a lot of artists are too looking at a stream they're like wow i got a thousand streams i got 25 cents, but then they could go sell a t-shirt for 20 bucks and they're making way more than they just did off streams. So I think that was a, a grand experiment that continues on the web through crypto side. Um, but I think the benefit of that was that artists kind of woke up and they're like, hey, like fans do want to value me more than 0.001 cents per stream or, you know, that there's a few more zeros there. Yeah, That's I think where I, where I think we're going. It's like the community has been a big buzzword, but like real communities up fans that really love artists and are willing to help them fund their career the same way a business might fund their business off customers that are paying them.
0: You know, it's funny you should mention that because in the world I live in, which is digital marketing and it's marketing my online courses and marketing my books. I have a big, big mailing list, but that's the norm. That's what you go about doing first. You you build up that mailing list you do lead generation, you do whatever to build that list because that list is going to make you money eventually. So it's funny that artists and people like you who help artists are coming to that. I want to say a little late, but maybe it's just, it's the way things go because it wasn't required until maybe now. 100%.
1: I think we went into streaming so quickly that we didn't stop to ask if streaming is the end-all, be-all, or if streaming is really serving the purposes that we're looking for, right? Um, I think other careers, other businesses got the chance to build off of a platform like a Spotify. But today, it's like you have to be on Spotify to like even be heard. But Spotify is not playing, you know, any favors for anyone. They're not giving your emails back. So I think like four or five, six, seven years removed from Spotify really coming out onto the scene, people are waking up to your point of like, oh, like Spotify is great. but it's just one source of my business. It's not my entire business, you know? Um, and even with the product that we're building, you know, we kind of started out with like automated marketing playbooks. You know, pre-save your songs on Spotify, run some ads from Instagram to Spotify to get more streams. And as we're building out the product more, I think to your point, we're looking at a lot more of a broader, holistic approach of like, cool, like you can get a thousands monthly listeners on Spotify, or you get a you know five fifty emails, you know, or hundred emails, and those fifty or hundred emails might be worth more and probably will be worth more in the long run than those thousand streams. So even as a product, we're evolving our thinking around that from just like streaming as an end-all, be-all to streaming almost like a top-of-funnel into your marketing. And then you got to collect your data and then sell things to folks, actually make make them off of it. All
0: right, well, let's go there. So uh, Symphony OS, that's what you've evolved into then. It's collecting data and helping artists Utilize that data. 100%. And even
1: beyond artists, right? I
0: think like artists,
1: podcasters, like YouTubers, everyone's in a similar boat where there's like the primary platform of posting, whether it's Spotify for posting music, YouTube for posting content, you know, Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, whatever. But I think everyone's in a similar boat where they're realizing that one platform will make their career. What will actually make their career is actually owning the audience deeply. And so for us too, it was like, you know, we start with artists and still focus 100% on artists. But my thinking has evolved into like, okay, cool. Like, you can help solve this problem for artists really effectively, construct this marketing funnel where ads bring in new fans, data collection tools help you collect data on your fans. And then segmentation helps you know who the most engaged fans are. Why can't we take that same approach, that same philosophy and apply it to someone like yourself, you know, that's building a podcasting and YouTube based kind of business? or even an Etsy store, right? That's trying to sell on Etsy and Shopify, but needs to grow in some sort of way. So all that said, it's like really, how do we take this marketing funnel that you and I both know exists for any kind of type of business and build it into one place versus just a piece of the funnel, which I feel like a lot of businesses outside have kind of
0: built out. So what are the features that you offer?
1: Yeah, so it's like, think about going back to the marketing funnel, right? I'm a big marketing funnel nerd. So what kind of happened, I feel like, over the last three years was everyone saw creators as a goldmine. And they're like, creator economy. You know, we heard it from the venture capital side. We heard it from, like, just the talk of the town side. I feel like people finally woke up to the idea that someone at home putting out content, a song, a podcast, a piece of merchandise, a video, they realized that they could make a living off of it. It's a real tangible career path for a lot of folks. What ended up happening, though, if you look at 10 years ago, right, when the first wave of online businesses came out, those businesses, or 10 to 15 years ago, those businesses had tools like HubSpot and Salesforce to kind of help them along. Like, it's like, oh, hey HubSpot, we'll centralize all your marketing tech into one place. And I don't think anyone has built that sort of approach out for today's world. People have built the link and buy with the link tree and the mail and the lay lows, you know, for phone number data collection. And maybe you hire an agency to run ads or do something like that. But no one has really built the HubSpot today. And so when I look at Symfony and when we look at like what we're building out, especially around the marketing funnel, how do we build tools to actually help every piece of the marketing funnel in one place for one price? Built for kind of today's world where today's businesses are people on their phone just running around and uploading things. So at a high level with Symfony, it's, it's um a set of different tools that all communicate together through the same data set. So it's, we have fan base insights so you can track growth across every platform you may have streaming, social media, your your email list, all of that. We had automated marketing. So we built integrations directly into Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, TikTok on the way as well. Um, but they're all goal-oriented. So one goal might be increase Spotify streams. Another one might be increased video views or increase merch sales. So we kind of taking these very, you know, these very like specific digital marketing pieces of jargon and turn it into tra- and translate it into a very accessible place where all you have to say is your goal. And then we built all the tech to make it very easy to run campaigns. We built out a CRM tool. And so like all your emails, your phone numbers, your, your fan names, customer names, live in the same place as all of that data. Um, and then when we run ads, we're reading it off of the data that you already have in your ecosystem. So now your ads are performing using the data we've already collected. And they'll ask you the, the link and bio, right? Like where are you sending your fans to consume a song, podcast, Tour dates, merchandise, link in bio, whatever, just generally. Um, So it's kind of all those tools that I personally would like into a HubSpot because, you know, HubSpot isn't being used by like the the artists of today. It's like a very different era of tech, but artists and creatives today do deserve a HubSpot because their businesses are valid businesses. Um, So that's how we kind of of liken it. It's just all these tools that work together to make marketing as easy as possible.
0: Uh, I certainly want to go there, but first, you keep on mentioning ads and I spend an awful lot of money on ads, Facebook, because that's where my audience is. But that being said, if you speak to most artists about running ads, they're gonna recoil in terror. And it's mostly because of either they've tried it and they've tried it without knowing what they're doing, so they lost money and they're thinking, well, that doesn't work, so I don't, don't even think about this anymore. So how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, no, great question. I feel like there's a lot of snake oils people in music, right? Especially when it comes to like artist marketing. It's like, hey, pay me twenty bucks and I'll get you a thousand streams, or it's like, I'm an agency. And then you pay the agency and they tell you how many clicks you got. And it's like, great, we got a thousand clicks from Brazil. What does that mean for my streams? You know? So the way we kind of approached it is let's start with all the data in one place. Your fan data, your streaming data, your consumption data. And then let's train an algorithm and AI really to understand who your audience is. And when you're running ads on Symphony, it usually builds around 300 to 500 audiences automatically that we're testing out when you're running ads. And in terms of actual throughput, right? We'll tell you how many clicks you got from your ads. Like I'm sure you see it on Facebook. It's like this many clicks, this much cost per click, whatever. But because we have all the data in one place, we not only tell you how many clicks you got, the actual growth in streams the growth in Shazam, so growth in Instagram and Spotify followers. And so we've kind of taken all both sides of the funnel, right? You put money into this place to drive an outcome here. We brought it into one place. So even for, for yourself, right? if you're like, hey, like, say you want to grow your Spotify and Apple Music uh, podcast consumptions, Symphony could still hypothetically work for you where you go in there, plug in your links, and because we could track your streams on the other side, you can actually track the direct ROI and the marketing you're doing. Instead of just being like, cool, I got a 1,000 clicks. Now, will hop on this other app and see what the impact was. Yeah. So, part of it's like, on one side, just the way we set up the platform to be very data-driven. Um, we kind of took our agency business and automated it. So, it's almost like an agency in your pocket. On the other side, it's because we have all the data in one place, we can actually tell you the ROI you're making on any money you're spending versus just things like clicks, which are great. But, like, ultimately, your business isn't driven by clicks. It's driven by streams, followers, and, and real consumption.
0: Well, one of the things that I know from doing ads is there's good responses and bad responses. So you could be getting, you know, a lot of responses, but in fact, it's people that they're very cold and they're going to stay cold. Let's put it like that. The big problem is finding the audience that really wants to be with you and stay with you. So that takes me to my next question. You mentioned about AI and from what I assume, is that ai is figuring a lot of this stuff out right
1: exactly exactly it's like think about you know say you hired an agency right if you're like hey i'm gonna pay this agency a thousand dollars a month or five thousand dollars or whatever crazy number whatever small number you know what the agency should do is they should audit all of your data to first understand your demographics they should audit your current growth rate so you know how you're going organically And then when you run ads, they should be ABC testing audiences, pieces of content, all of this stuff to what's driving actual results given the data they looked at. That whole process is automated in Symfony with AI. So that whole agency approach of like, let's check all sources first and then build audiences and then test a bunch of different ads to see if it hits. That's where our AI comes in, where we kind of took our process of agency and automated it. And so that's really where when we're looking at it, it's like, all right, why don't we take all this data, put it into one place, and then make it super easy for anyone to access this AI that actually runs ads like a human being versus just to your point, running ads to India or Brazil, getting you a thousand cheap clicks for two cents that don't turn it down.
0: Okay. Who's generating
1: the ads? So the, the artist or creative kind of comes from, excuse me, the artist or creator kind of brings the creative. So you can boost any of your existing Instagram posts you can upload assets if you want to. Um, we're looking at adding like almost like an AI music video generator too into, into the tool. So you can generate assets from AI um, if you want to. But generally, the, the creative comes from the actual creator um, to try and stay as authentic as possible and then everything else is run through the platform.
0: Okay, so if there's a great post that seems to be performing well, that would be the basis of the ad, right? exactly in other words you're boosting it intelligently
1: exactly and it's better
0: than boosting
1: on Instagram because we do make all these custom look like audiences for you like across every country across different engagement types yeah. and so it's kind of taking you know to your point boosting a post but adding all these additional things that we're testing out to drive you the best results at the lowest cost
0: very cool okay so what platforms then are the ones that you serve?
1: Uh, right now, we have Instagram and Facebook ads for different kind of objectives. Like one objective is increased music streams, which is driven around just driving DSP consumption. We have uh, boost Instagram engagement, which is like, have you um, if you've used TrueView on YouTube, you know, it's spend some money, you get a bunch of views. It's like that for Instagram. Um, and then we have one called increased link clicks, which uses Instagram ads to drive link clicks to anything, whether it's tour sales, merchandise sales. Um, and then we have increased video views, which is YouTube ads. Um, And then we'll be rolling out TikTok ads come January, most likely. So all the primary social media platforms is what we're intending to cover. Um, And then as we get into next year, looking at Snapchat ads, looking at things like Reddit and LinkedIn, Google ads, more more broadly speaking. Um, We're really honing in to start on the social media platforms that are used today.
0: How are you collecting email addresses? So we have our own platform
1: uh, or tool set built in for pre-safes natively. And so anyone can go on and create a pre-safe, free on Symphony, um, when their fans uh, pre-save on Spotify or Apple Music, we just add SoundCloud and Deezer as well. So like you know, SoundCloud and Mac as well. So like whatever platform they pre-save on, if that platform shares data with the artist, you know, we can kind of pull that in. And then the fans end, ends up subscribing. Um, that data is shared with the artist for them to actually act on. Um, and then we also have a feature which a lot of artists have found beneficial called Forever Saves where... Um, I'm sure you've seen the pre-save process. You know, every single time a fan goes and pre-saves, it's like a one-off transaction. We turn that into a subscription. So fans can now, use using Symphony subscribe an artist's future releases. So say you have a pre-save and I subscribe. Every song you ever drop in the future is automatically saved to my library of choice because I subscribe to you.
0: Okay, you just preempted my next question. <laughs> Which is, what do they get for a
1: subscription? But that's it. Exactly, it's like, you know, it's like these small things start compounding over time, right? So like we've had artists like get their first pre-save in January that turned into a forever save because a fan subscribed, and by the end of the year, they have hundreds if not thousands of streams just off the release that they've had because a fan isn't searching for your song anymore. It's just like, oh, cool, like Meg dropped a new song. You know, it's like already in my library, I can start streaming it. Um, so build things like that end up compounding. Is really what we're trying to trying to build tools for. You know, like one action to the, the many many wins for everyone.
0: Give me some examples of some artists that have found your platform very successful.
1: Yeah, so quite a few. So there's artists artist named um, West who started out really early on. He was actually he was actually a friend I mentioned that um, was like dropped dropped the website. You know, as a beta user like last January of 2022. But I met him when he had forty thousand monthly listeners. Um, And he spent all of 2022 posting content on TikTok and running symphony ads. And he was going deep. He was ABC testing songs, right? So he'd have posts from TikTok, he'd download and he had three or four songs he was testing ads against. And he found one called Eurostep that was doing like a cost per click around like two or three cents in America. Very, very high engaging content, very low cost per engagement. He ended up dumping like 3K, 4K into it over like a you know, six month time period. And I watched him go from 40, 50K monthly for listeners to a million plus wow. in seven, eight months, just running these ads, testing them out, and then just being diligent on his content. Um, and now that song is in synced in like ESPN, I think like Call of Duty, a bunch of places. He's um, fully independent, by the way, like just built it out of his own pocket, just like testing and learning. And that's like one artist um, on the independent side. And um, we've been very grateful to also work with like very larger artists, like Summer Walker, for example, um, you know, like her team was like, this is great. Like we can actually own our data without having to rely on the record labels who sometimes will keep the email list and not share it with the artist. Yeah. So Summer Walker used it for her last project um, and that project ended up being Grammy nominated. Um, so we'll find out in February if she wins. But that was another big win for us. Um, But I think what's really cool is that we kind of build something out that translates no matter where you are in your career, right? We have artists that have 10 monthly listeners that are finding value from running ads to get new fans. Then we have the super big artists that have 20, 30 million monthly listeners that are finding value and understanding more of their fan base, doing things like data collection and pre-saves. So it's kind of both sides of it. You know, it's like trying to help the really big folks understand their fans better and know who's actually really engaged better. And then giving the, the smaller artist tool that they wouldn't have access to unless they were signed or had a manager that was really proficient at digital marketing.
0: How about the pricing, Meg?
1: Great question. Great question. Everyone is like, charge more. We charge $20 a month. That's it. Just flat pricing all in. And I really look at like analogically, I look at companies like Canva as big inspirations where, you know, like five years ago, if you wanted to get graphic design done, you have to learn Photoshop and After Effects, Adobe, whatever, all these tools yourself. You have to hire a graphic designer and like pay money out of your pocket. And the Canva came along and they're like, hey, $15 a month, you get access to this full suite of graphic design, video editing tools, whatever you want to use it for. And it's very accessible. So that same philosophy is how we're trying to build Symphony out where we want to be affordable. We want to be accessible to the everyday kid at home who isn't, keep paying for something out of his allowance, you know, making like 10 cents a month off streaming, but at least he has this arsenal that he can use or he or she can use for super cheap. And if you do that really well, like Canva, I think Canva has like a hundred million subscribers now, like some crazy number. Um, but I see marketing has the same thing where like to do marketing effectively, you either pay four or five subscriptions for four or five tools um, that all don't talk to each other. You either learn ads yourself and like have to really be in there, like pulling your hair out with Facebook ads manager, um, or you pay an agency that like might cost five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever. Um, but we want to be the canva for marketing. We want to make marketing as easy as possible for anyone, whether you're an expert or a novice, and make it accessible from the price point uh, price point too. Um, so twenty bucks a month is kind of our our, our fee. Um, and then there's a, there's a free model, too. If you're an artist that doesn't want to pay, you just want to track your data, maybe have a link in bio, that's fully included on in a free tier as well.
0: I've done all those things you mentioned, by the way.
1: You've seen it, man. <laughs> they change Facebook every six months, and you're like, what is going on? There's conversions required a domain. Now you don't need a domain, all these things, you know? Probably I had a layer on top of it, that takes away all the stuff you don't need to think
0: about. Well, one of the things that's important, I think, especially for someone who's not technically sophisticated, and doesn't want to be, is the fact that all the tools talk to one another and they are on one platform. Because what's frustrating is when you have to go out, and I'm I've been doing this long enough that there was no such thing as one overall platform. you you know, you wanted a feature, you had to go find it. And then having everything talk to one another was you know pretty near impossible. Believe me, it's better when you have something like you have, where everything talks to one another and it's seamless and you don't think about it. That's pretty good.
1: That's the goal, right? And that's how you like save time and save money and make more money, right? You either are are hopping between like, I'm sure you dealt with it, you run some ads on Facebook, maybe to your email list on Mailchimp, and now you're hopping between Facebook, which is ugly and hard to use, all the way to Mailchimp every single day to see what's actually happening with your results and the money you're spending. And like, there's a delay, right? Like Facebook might be a few hours delayed, or Mailchimp, so you're like waiting and seeing if you're wasting money or not. But if all the data was together, right, the Facebook data lived next to your email list in the same tool, you could still export the Mailchimp whenever. But at least we could report back that, hey, like you spent fifty bucks on ads and you got eighty emails collected actually from these demographics, from these ages and genders. That is really what we want to unlock by having all the data in one place. It's saving that time of understanding results but also using that data to make your future results even
0: better okay last question Meg what's the best piece of business advice best piece of advice that maybe someone imparted to you or you learned along the way oh man this is a great great question sheesh I think uh, you know I've been I've
1: been fortunate enough to have a very non-traditional background into music you know like being a tech kid tech nerd fully coding every single day for the last few years but then going into music working with all these amazing creatives and, and also bureaucrats on the other side, like you know, all sides of it. I think it's like you know, there's a. This is from a movie, actually. This is from the movie Robots. I don't know if you've seen that movie Robots from like the 2010s, but um, it was a. This is an inventor in that movie. It was like the Steve Jobs of the world, and he he had a saying always in that movie, which was "see a need, to fill it." You know, and I honestly think about that every day, and it's funny because it's from a kids movie, but it stuck with me, right? Because like. Ultimately, I feel like there's a lot of things you can do with your time, with your passion, with your, with the things that you're talented with. But ultimately, the world is only becomes a better place because people like you and I make it a better place. And so for me, it's like every day I'm like, all right, what is the need that we are seeing today? What are the problems that people are facing? And how can we take one step forward from where we are today to hopefully feel a little bit better? And if we do that enough for a thousand days, we'll have filled the need all the way. And it'll be new things that we can work on. A little bit less of a business leader, it's more so from, from a from a TV show, a cartoon, but you know, those things always impact you when you're growing
0: up. And so I'm gonna put that out there. You can find out more about Meg and Symphonic OS at Symphonic O S. Symphonic S Y M P H O N I C O S, all one word, symphonic os dot c O. That's Symphonic O S dot C O. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music news, audio and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There, you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select a podcast tab or to com, or you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At BobbyOsinski.com and com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.